0: Welcome to the Ivy Church podcast. For more podcasts and information about Ivy Church, go to ivychurch.org. Now it's me, sorry. Great, okay, well all of that was so that we get the Bible so why don't you get one and uh, open it up to Hebrews chapter 5 maybe that's what your phone's for, if that's what you want to do it because we're going to actually this is just coming out of my Bible reading this week Um, in fact, something that we want to do regularly is ask this question, this is a discipleship question I don't think we've got time for it tonight because I want to get into this basically we want to keep on asking you what has God said to you this week as you've read the Bible? And for us to be in the habit of asking one another that question, because rather than it just be about me coming with what I think God has told me, we want this to be everybody regularly reading the Bible and expecting that God's going to speak to them and then being willing to share and encourage it with the, uh, encourage one another with the things that God is saying. And um, so this is just... I think it was Thursday, might be yeah, Thursday or Friday, as I'm reading through the Bible, there's this um, passage that kind of just grabbed me, and uh, kind of wouldn't let me go, and I kept thinking about it, and I thought, maybe that's what I'm supposed to speak on, on Sunday evening, and, um, and as I did, the thing is with the Bible, the deeper you go, and uh, I just, you know, was so, so challenged, this is a challenging word tonight, kind of warning you, this is not like an easy one, uh, this is for the big boys and girls. So, um, some of you might hate it. I hope not. Anyway, Hebrews chapter 5. Um, start, I'm going to go from verse 6. As He also says in another place, you are a priest forever according to the order of Melchizedek, Who is talking about Jesus, in the days of his flesh, when he'd offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death and was heard because of his godly fear, Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered. And having been perfected, he became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and it's hard to explain since you've become dull of hearing. Now we're going to pause there on that, because that says, we're going to pick through the rest of this passage, but I'm not going to show you on my Bible, because I've done the work, I asked you to look at your Bible. So if you carry on, you'll be able to read it. Otherwise, you'll just have to listen to me. Okay? Because now we're going to go into verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a baby. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age, that is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Chapter 6. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection or maturity, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of the resurrection of the dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do, if God permits. I'm telling you what's happening, some people are reading this now, and you're already kind of thinking, I'm like lost, and that's really tough. And the danger is, you'll switch off, and you'll think, this is too tough for me. If that's what you've been thinking, you're who really needs to hear this tonight, because this is absolutely a word for you from God. The writer to Hebrews is talking about Jesus. To be honest with you, that's all he does. All the way through, he's just, he's just telling us how in days gone by, God spoke to people in different ways, various ways, but now he's spoken to us finally and fully in Jesus Christ, his son. He sent his son so that we don't have to guess what God's like, he's come. And then he wants to tell us time and time again, how much greater, how much more wonderful Jesus is compared to every other religious leader you could think of, any other figure in history that you might ever think of, um, you know, any philosopher that you could think of, Now or in any point in history. Or or he's he's greater than the angels, he's greater than the archangels, he's greater than all the powers. He just keeps going on. And then he starts talking about priests and he says, you know, there's been all kinds of priests. In the Old Testament system there are all these kind of priests. Jesus is way better than any of those priests. Any of the high priests, these famous high priests. It doesn't matter. Jesus is like way higher. He's our great high priest. And he's going on about how Jesus really is you know, such a a great God and that we've got to get hold of that and he wants us to get hold of how great Jesus is because then we're going to get closer to him and we're going to be able to meet him and know more and be wowed by Jesus even more. That's what he's all about. That's everything that he's writing about. And he keeps bringing together various passages from the Old Testament that were looking forward to the coming Messiah and he's saying, this is him, this is him, this is him, this is Jesus, this is Jesus and he's better than you think and he's better than you could ever imagine. Through all this teaching, he's wanting to show them Jesus so that they'll get to know him more and more, who he really is, who Jesus Christ actually is as the eternal, everlasting, only begotten son of God, the saviour, the the one who was the great high priest and also the greatest sacrifice himself. And now he wants to go deeper again and draw them in closer. And the way he wants to do that is to compare Christ's priesthood with that of another Bible character called Melchizedek and he's the guy who Abraham met in the book of Genesis and later on he does go on to talk about him so that you'll get more insight about Christ and his kingdom and how the kingdom works in the world right now but as he writes you can read that it's like he hits a roadblock at some point with them so he takes a deep breath and he grasps the nettle and he says a tough thing to them and maybe it's to us too here it is so you've been a Christ follower longer than a few months Um, if it's less than that you're off the hook if this is like new to you he's not talking to first time visitors he's not talking to people who come at Christmas and Easter here he's talking about people who would say yeah I'm I'm a Christian and I've been one for a while that's who he's talking to here if that's you I wonder if I was to ask you what you think of Christ the Messiah in comparison to the Old Testament character of Melchizedek what you would say who's Melchizedek a lot of people would say that or, or maybe you'd say well he's like, like I don't know it's a funny name but to be honest with you you tell me because I haven't got much of a clue your job, my job is to tell you and this isn't your fault this is the fault of the church this is the way church has often been set up that that is my job is to tell you about stuff about Jesus. But according to this, if that is you, if if actually you're like, I've got no idea what this Melchizedek stuff and Christ is all about at all, and you've been coming to church for any length of time, according to the Bible, not according to Anthony Delaney, according to this passage, and I say if you're not just brand new, just done the Alpha Course and still checking this out, this would say that's a problem. It's a problem because it seems you should know something. Sorry, go back to the other one, put, uh, the first one. On. Yeah. You should have you should know something about Melchizedek. It's like I want to tell you this stuff. I've got so much to say about Jesus to you. But it's going to be hard. Because actually, you shouldn't just know about this stuff. According to this, you should be able to teach about it. That's what this says. You just don't believe me, look at the passage. Hebrews' major theme, again, is how Jesus is greater, how he's far superior to anybody and everything. And now he's writing about the time when Jesus went into the Garden of Gethsemane and he prayed the night before he went to the cross to save us, how he was crying out to God, if there's any other way, you know, I don't want to drink that cup that's full of your your, uh, judgment on sin, but then he says not my will but your will be done father and he's counting the cost of what it would mean for him in complete obedience to die for us who are often completely disobedient to save us who in the days of his flesh in other words in the time when Christ before he went back to heaven when he had offered up prayers and supplications with vehement cries and tears Jesus wept in the garden, to him who was able to save him from death, and was heard because of his godly fear. Though he was a son, yet he learned obedience by the things which he suffered, and having been made perfect. I don't, that's such a mystery. How do we get to the bottom of that? He became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him, called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say and hard to explain, since you have become dull of hearing. See, this writer. He's saying, I wanted to enter into a deeper study of the heavenly priesthood of Christ. I wanted to talk to you about that, but I've got a problem. The way the message version ends the passage is like this. I have a lot more to say to you about this, but it's hard to get across to you since you've picked up the bad habit of not really listening. See, the problem was, not that he was a dull writer, but he had dull hearers. That's the word literally he uses. The, problem, the people, he says, have become dull of hearing. And as a result, they're going back to being babies. They're lacking discernment for themselves. He says they don't even know right from wrong. See, that's what babies are like, isn't it? Children don't know right from wrong. That's something you're supposed to learn as you get older. But he says they don't know that, much less are they able to teach other people. But they should be able to do so according to this he says they've got stuck in the basics and they keep having to have the basics being told to them over and over again it's like they never finally get it so tell me again tell me again and it's taken him a while to get there the writer of Hebrews hasn't just come out and said this but he's actually implied it if you look through the new Testament, through the letter you're going to see that he's implied it a few times that there's something wrong the people that he's writing to say they're Christians but actually it's the kind of followers that the church is producing that there's a problem with in chapter 2 verse 1 he said pay close attention to the message you've heard lest you drift away in in chapter 3 verse 8 he says do not harden your hearts like Israel did in the wilderness in chapter 3 verse 12 he said take care lest you have an evil heart of unbelief In chapter 4 verse 1 he said, fear lest you fail to enter God's rest. In chapter 4 verse 11 he said, be diligent to enter God's rest lest you fall by disobedience. Now that word diligence is really important because actually it's the opposite of dullness. See we know for sure that that's the case because the word dull you could translate it as slow or sluggish. And it's used just one other time in the New Testament. In Hebrews chapter 6 verse 12. So if we were to open our Bibles and skim through and get to chapter 6 verse 12, chapter 11 and 12, So chapter 6 verse 11 and 12, you'll see what the opposite of dullness is. If we can look at that one, please, it. you see what the opposite of dullness is. And it's got nothing to do with how clever a person is. Chapter 6 verse 11 and 12, have I got that one on there? Yeah, keep going. Oh, I thought I'd done this one. Chapter 6, verse 11. I've not got that one on the slide for that. All right, close your eyes. I'll read it to you. We want each one of you to show the same diligence so as to to realise the full assurance of hope to the very end, so that you may not become sluggish. That's the word for dull that we just looked at. But instead be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So according to this passage, the opposite of dullness, the, dullness, the Greek word there behind it, isn't the lack of intelligence. It's got nothing to do with how clever you are. It's how switched on you are, which is different. It's how eager you are. It's all about desire. It's all about, they've got a lack of fervour. They're not that interested. You could literally translate that word sluggish as no drive. They've got no drive to do anything about the things that they're hearing. That's their problem. And so they're stagnating. They're lethargic. They're like, and that's why they're not advancing. They're not taking on anything new. And they certainly were not passing anything new on to anybody else. See, the opposite of dullness is diligence. Eagerness, being keen wanting to grab hold of the truth from God and digest it and apply it to my life and live it out and then pass it on to other people. To imitate people of real faith, to, be, to see somebody with real faith and rather than kind of go, oh, you know, I'll never be like them, be like them. You know, if you see somebody who looks to be further on ahead of you as a Christian, don't think I'll never be like them, be like them. I was just blown away in the week. I was telling the academy guys this week. I went and spent um, a couple of hours with my friend Pastor Kamalofi who leads the Redeemed Christian Church of God here. Great church, Jubilee Church. And his wife died just a couple of months ago. And um, and you know he, the guy was. I just went to comfort him and pray with him and he's my friend and then um, I actually was thinking I'd love to learn to pray and this guy I know just prays so much and I said to him could you you know maybe I could come round again and, and we could pray together like you know I'm thinking I know what I'll do I'll say in the morning you know because he's bound to be a morning guy and like I'll get up in the morning and I was thinking I could do it like once have a bit of a lie in and then you know catch up in the week and um I'm thinking he's going to say six a.m. or something. I'll be like, I'll be there. Oh yeah, I'll get there at six a.m. Anyway, so I said to him, so maybe one morning I can come and pray with you. And he said, Well, I don't tend to pray in the mornings. And I was like, oh, Well, this is not in that way, not intercession prayer. I said, Oh, okay. He said, Yeah, I generally go from about nine or ten p.m. most days through till two or three in the morning in prayer. And then, then I'll get up, you know, after a few hours' sleep and pray again, and then lead the family in devotions. And I'm like, and he's like, he's like like an Olympic runner, and I'm just starting to jog, you know? But the thing is, I can kind of go, oh, that means I'm rubbish at prayer. Or actually, I can try and imitate something about him, can't I? Imitate his faith, learn from it. See, dull hearing doesn't mean there's anything wrong with your ears. The problem is with your heart. It's not beating as fast as it used to when you first heard God's truths maybe. Do you remember a time when it was like that? But after a bit what happens is you start to, you know, maybe you're listening to a podcast or you're in church or you're reading the Bible and it's coming in one ear and kind of going around the other and it's like, and that's how you diagnose dullness of hearing. You don't embrace the truth. You don't grab hold of it and you lose it as a result of that. The teaching, the promises maybe come to your ear, but there's no passion for them. The words don't grab you and you don't grab it. And the Bible isn't something that you love very much anymore. It's not something that you cherish. It isn't something that you kind of think, that's like treasure to me. And what he says is, that ends up, if we're not careful, you end up with this condition called dullness of hearing. And it's really deadly, spiritually. And now obviously I can't imagine that ever happening in, in church these days. You can't imagine that that would ever have happened any time since this book was written, can you? Obviously not. but again, look at chapter five, up there again, chapter five. He, it's like he puts the pen down for a minute and he's, he's like, shall I go on? Is it all right, can I go a bit deeper with you? And he's, he's got some really profound stuff that's lined up, incredible stuff to help them get closer to Jesus and he's like, are you ready? Are you ready for that? It's like he stops after he's already started and he says, of whom, or concerning him. I want to tell you about Jesus. I want you to know Jesus more. I've got much more to say. Much more, there's always more to know about Jesus, isn't there? He says, I've got so much more I want to show you, but I can't go on. There's no point if you're not going to do two things. You've got to wake up, first of all. And then the second thing is, is you've got to grow up. Wake up and grow up. See, this is what happens with the Bible. It can be like this. It can become a little bit, or teaching and preaching, it can become a bit like background noise to us if we're not careful. A bit like when you sleep with the window open and I can hear the M60. And it's just there in the background, but I don't notice it anymore. Or like when you go to the airport and they're putting out all those, those things saying, this is a no-smoking establishment, or whatever. And you're not even listening to those kind of things. It's just background noise. Or like the music that plays in lifts. Nobody ever listens to that really, unless it's awful. Well, it is awful. But you, this is the kind of thing that he's saying about it. It's like, is the word of God going out and it's just becoming background noise to you these days? Because he says, I so wanted to show you more. I wanted you to, to not just know, but to be able to teach at least the basics of the Christian life. And he lists them in chapter 6 and verse well, in, in chapter 6, he lists them. He says, you're on milk, I want you on meat. Does, any, does anybody actually want that for themselves? Anybody here? I hope so. I hope we do. Because he's saying, I, I wanna, I want, God wants you to have the meat. He doesn't just want you to have the milk. But he says, unless we wake up and we grow up, it's not going to happen. We're not going to go on. He says, I want to go on, but we're not going to go on until we make this decision. How many Christians get born again, but that's it? They just stay as babies. That's the question tonight. See, however many years you say you've been a Christian, how old are you as a Christian? Some people would say, well, I've been a Christian 30 years, but actually they've been a one-year-old 30 times. How do you know if that's you? Verse 12, for though by this time, the word there is chronos, that's the word here for like calendar, ordinary time, it's like how many weeks, how many months, how many years do you say you've been following Jesus? And as I say, he's not addressing first time visitors here. He says you ought to be what? Teachers. Teachers. Are you? Who are you teaching? Instead, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of God, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age or mature. That is, those who by reason of use, the word there in Greek is hexios, it means habit. By habit, you're thinking, you're studying, you're engaging with the Bible. You're not just waiting for somebody else to tell you about it, you're doing the stuff yourself. Therefore, by that kind of habit, you have your senses exercised to be able to discern between good and evil. That's that's what maturity is, isn't it? Knowing right from wrong the first evidence of it God says these people are babies nepios infant children because they still live on milk they haven't weaned much less learn to feed themselves definitely not learn to cook for others people say I think I want to go to this church or that church because I just want to be fed or they leave a church saying, I wasn't being fed there. Wow, wow, wow. Are you a baby? Now I'm not saying everybody should stick in a church that's where the word of God isn't being preached and where it's it, it's deadly, but some Christians throw their toys right out of the pram if you tell them that they ought to be feeding themselves by now. Imagine if you said that they should be feeding others like he says here again I'm I'm, I'm nicer than him he's writing this oh it's God and the truth is this is often actually not really their fault because it's been the church's fault too the way we've ended up doing church see that reformation was great but it didn't go far enough The church didn't take it far enough because it kept an old model of doing church. It changed how we view the Bible and salvation, but it didn't change how we do church and how we think of church. So we retained ways of doing church, which are all about a priest up at the front who delivers the stuff, and instead of it being about us receiving the mass, it ends up with us receiving a man giving the message, and everybody else receiving it. And we've set up churches to be like a nursery where people actually don't grow up for themselves, instead of teaching them to be teachers. That's what we should be aiming at. We've developed a kind of codependency. It can happen in church. It happened to me as a preacher, you know, because you need somebody like me to teach you, and I need you to validate me as a preacher by listening. Even if it just went in one ear and out the other, at least there's some of you here. Bishop N.T. Wright writes about this in his commentary on Hebrews, and he says this about this passage he says this can happen in churches even with people who I quote are highly intelligent in other areas who work in demanding professions who read seriously and would be ashamed to not know what was going on in the world but hardly making any effort at all to learn what the Christian faith is about who Jesus really is what Christians have and should believe about God and the world what the Bible contains how individual Christians fit in and how their lives and thoughts should be transformed by the power of the gospel he says there are many places in the world where there is a great hunger to know all these things an eagerness to grasp and take in as much teaching as one can. Some Christians are indeed ready for solid food, but I deeply regret that in many churches in Western Europe, it seems that most people can be persuaded to take on board is another small helping of warm milk. never preached before with artillery behind me this is like cool <laughs> remember the, the writer of Hebrews is writing to people here who are Christians born again they recognise the ABCs of the gospel but that's as far as they got they knew enough to get themselves saved but not enough to be able to teach anybody else come on <laughs> he says you know and you could think well isn't that enough am I preaching some kind of doctrine by works here no I'm not you know he's saying well isn't it enough though that I'm saved and that I'm born again and I'm going to go and be with Jesus and all that kind of stuff you know he's given me a new life isn't that enough okay he's given me a new life what are you doing with it what are you doing with the life that he gave you back the new one And who are you teaching? And what are you teaching? What are you teaching them? He says, these people, does this apply to you? I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Some people already nodded, which is good. If you are honest enough about it, it's long enough that you should be teaching others. But instead it seems that they've lapsed into a kind of second childhood spiritually. And they've been learning it had been around learning so much for so long. How long do you have to be a disciple, do you think, to start telling other people and teaching others something about Jesus? Yeah, like a day. You could tell, you know. I've, how old do you have to be? My daughter Emma led my other daughter Hannah to Jesus when Emma was, I think, five and Hannah was three. You know, you can pretty much start when you want. You don't have to learn loads more stuff to be able to do this, we've just got to make the decision Nick, Nick Duffy uh, who works with and for Ivy but also for lots of other churches, he's just getting out on the street telling people about Jesus and helping to disciple them we are in a little conversation with him the other day and he was telling me about a guy who recently became a Christian from a complete atheist background, Nick just saw him standing outside his house having a smoke and he got chatting to him and he asked him what he thought about Jesus, he said I'm an atheist, he said yeah well what do you think about Jesus ended up um, having a bit of a conversation with him and saying on what basis would you say you're an atheist and how, how do you you know, you dismiss you dismissed Jesus what you, on what basis. Do you want to look at some stories about what Jesus said and did in the Bible? Yeah, okay, I you know, don't want to discount anything offhand. Within a few weeks, this guy gives his life to Jesus and becomes a Christian and immediately starts telling his friends and his family and his counsellor and everybody at work all about Jesus and who, how he's discovered about this amazing thing about Jesus and who Jesus is. He's telling everybody. And then he joined a church it wasn't ours but it could have been and went to a house group and immediately stopped telling everybody about Jesus and I said well why is that is that because he didn't feel like he knew more than the people around him and they all knew more than him or whatever and he said no it's because none of them did if you were in that house group would he be able to say that about you if I was in the house group, would he be able to say that about me? See, we have here a New Testament instruction. It's actually an admonition. It's like a bit of a telling off, isn't it? Zoe, I went for a walk with Zoe. I started, She said, what are you going to talk on tonight? I told, told her, she said, well, you're basically going to tell everybody off. I said, no, no, not really. Hope not. I hope it's not that. It, it, it's... The thing is what he's saying. He's not just... What I want us to get is he's not addressing specific people, specific leaders here. He's actually addressing... Everybody in the church it's like you, you should all be doing this and if the church had got hold of that and had realised that we'd have a completely different church wouldn't we if we realised that the expectation on every single disciple is that they would be a disciple who makes disciples and that they would be able to teach the stuff that they were learning to other people too we would have revival on our hands in, in, just, in just about every kind of church that you could think of If the people were coming to the church eager to learn, not just eager to learn for themselves, but eager to teach, to pass on whatever it was that they were doing with some other people, to teach other people, look out. But he says they just keep going over the ABCs and the 1, 2, 3s, and as a result of that they become unskilled in the word. That's the word that he uses. And he carries on the next chapter now in chapter 6, verse 1. I'm nearly done. Therefore leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ let us go on to maturity not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith towards God of the doctrine of baptisms of laying on of hands of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment and this we will do if God permits. How long have you been a Christ follower? Everybody shout out. Is it long enough? Is it long enough to teach somebody something? Sammy already got up and taught us something. Straight at the beginning of the service, didn't he? About the fire of God inside of him, the Holy Spirit inside of him. How deep have you gone in God's Word, or are you still unskilled in it? Again, this isn't about how much education that you had. Have you discerned? Have you learned to discern between what's right and what's wrong? That's the basic. Christian maturity level you know what's right and what's wrong I have to say there are church leaders there are bishops highly educated theologians all over the nation who don't even seem to have worked that out yet somebody with a very basic level of education but a high level of obedience will perform miracles for Jesus because they just believe what this actually says are you still a baby? You're still living on the milk? Or are you maturing? Are you starting to chew over the meat of the word for yourself? Because of daily use. That's what the word is here. Just habits of reading, thinking about, praying, writing it out, whatever it else says that helps you do it. Do you know the foundations of the faith? The elementary principles, he calls them. It's like this is like elementary school. You read through those kind of things, you go, oh, that sounds really deep. Actually, he's saying, like, this is nursery school stuff. You should be teaching this, because this is all pictures. You know you get the kids, first of all, before they can read, you give them pictures, don't you? Well, this is all pictures from the Old Testament, actually, that Christ fulfills in the New Testament. That's what he's showing them. And he lists these things, and he's saying, if you don't know enough yet to start to teach these things to others, you need to do some homework. And the six items on the list, they all go back to the Old Testament, but they're fulfilled in Jesus. Do you know how? Do you know how that works? Some Christians say, I never read the Old Testament. I don't like the Old Testament. God likes the Old Testament. That's why he got it written. I don't like the God of the Old Testament. Same God. Stop being a baby. Grow up. Get off the milk. Get on the meat. Be able to teach others. Now I am telling people off. But I hope I'm doing it in a nice way. Because otherwise, we're being dull of hearing. I don't want to be dull of hearing. You know, I go to a conference, I go to something this week, I'm there, I'm taking notes. I'm wanting to engage with it. I'm thinking, how do I apply this stuff in my life and in my family and in my church? I don't want to be dull of hearing. And, and this is, he wants us to be skillful in the word, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. How do you do that? You have to read it. Or listen to it. If you're not very good at reading, you can do that too. But listen, I've said before, I can read the Bible to you, but I can't read the Bible for you. You're the only one who can decide to do that. And for you and me to be able to read the Bible in the language that we can understand is what those brave men and women lived and died for 500 years ago. how long do you have to have been a Christian to do this, for this word to apply to you? You should be teachers by now. Look at the list. Could you teach somebody about what repentance really means? Number one, could you teach somebody anything about faith in God? I bet you could. What baptism is, what it symbolises. What happens when you lay some hands on somebody? In faith, could you show somebody anything about that or share something about that? Maybe something you've done or something you've seen. Can you encourage somebody who's grieving with what the Bible teaches about the resurrection from the dead? And how they can be saved by Jesus from eternal judgment. He could be teachers. We should be teachers. It's time to get off the milk and on the meat. It's time to be a teacher. Jesus started with a group of 11. Took them up a mountain. Not because he needed the altitude to get to heaven. But because he wanted them to get a vision of all the nations before he spoke to them about what he was going to do through them. We come back to this time and time again these evenings. He gave them the great commission. He was going to send them and he was going to go with them. Some worshipped, it said, and some wobbled a bit. They all got the same job. To make, mark, and mature disciples. To make, mark, and mature disciples. This is the instruction for every follower of Jesus. Every single follower, every disciple of Jesus. Look what we are to do. Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make... What? What? Disciples of all nations, all kinds of people, ethne. He's talking to his disciples. We are to be his disciples who make disciples. After you make disciples, you mark them. Mark them out as Jesus' followers. That's what baptism's about. This one belongs to Jesus now. Baptising them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. And then what? Make them, mark them and... Mature them. How do they mature? How do we mature? Teaching them. Teaching them. And what's the curriculum? It's actually not that complicated. To obey <laughs> everything I have commanded you. Imagine if that was what the church did. Imagine us. What God would unleash through the church, if every single person who decided to follow Jesus actually realised I'm meant to be a follower, I'm meant to be a disciple but I'm also meant to be a teacher and I've been given some people that I I can show how great it is when your life starts to line up with the teaching of Jesus Christ. If we got off the milk, started to munch the meat to become disciples and makers and mature us of Jesus Christ if we were teachers. Should we stand? But going to come up. One way you can grow in this stuff is if you come along to launch in a couple of weeks' time. We've still got spaces for people to come to, to that. If, if you're interested, I'm going to be talking about this. This is basically, I think, one of going to be one of my talks at launch about how we want to be the kind of churches that make disciples who make disciples next Sunday evening here is another opportunity we've got an incredible speaker who's coming over from for launch called Jossie Chaco he's a Australian Indian guy who is planting churches all across India Bangladesh Pakistan all the tough places North India and he's he's got this crazy vision and he's a brilliant speaker was speaking at the World Creek Leadership Summit just last year so we have got him coming next Sunday evening so we'll come along to that a week on Tuesday we're going to be at the Victoria Warehouse and we've got another opportunity for you to to pray together for Europe. We've got Jossie Chaco, another guy from Sweden, who's going to be um, leading us. We've got Andy and the band and we've got Rivers and Robots, who are a great worship band too. We're going to be there and uh, you can still book onto that. I think they said that the, the tickets have gone, but you're nice, so you can email the office and we'll sort you out. And another one is the Floyd Woodrow thing that we talked about before. Um, See, this is a great thing to, for you to bring somebody to who's not yet a Christian, even. Somebody from work. Because lots of people want to figure out their life and where it's going. Floyd Woodrow, I read this book, and uh, he said that before, when he was, a, you know, he was a major in the SAS, but before, when he first joined the army when he was a soldier, they gave him a, a compass before they gave him a gun. And they said to him, you know, wherever you go in the world, whether you're up a mountain or in the desert, you're going to, this thing is going to guide you. And you have to wor- wor- work out, what's your North Star? What's your direction? You can do this for your individual or as a company or whatever. Then what's S? What's your north-south strategy? What's your plan to get there? W, warrior. There's some fights you're going to have to get there, get through to be able to get there. And E, ethics. What are the things that you will do and that you won't do? That's just part of it. I'm reading this book thinking this is so good and it actually really connects so well with, with, with uh, God too. So, you know, maybe you invite other people along, people from work and get them to come. 27 quid. We're making no money on this. We're just basically hiring hotel football and um, And giving you food for 27 quid and we're paying Floyd Woodrow separately So this is the very bare bones of what we can do it, but he pre- he, he speaks to multinational companies he speaks to um sports teams at the highest level and helps them so and as I say he's not actually yet a Christian himself but I figure the best way to be able to get him is get him to come and speak and then we can talk to him as well and you can imagine I'll be leading it so that we might mention Jesus at some point so Lord we thank you I thank you Lord that actually I don't I really don't believe this is a message that's meant to in any way bring anybody and uh, condemnation because that's not of you but Lord, if there's conviction, and then we welcome that, because Lord, uh, that means Your Holy Spirit is is ready to have us step up into um, more of what You've called us to be. <sighs> to be a teacher. To be one who um, who helps others. If you're willing to do that, if you're kind of saying to God, just seriously, um, I want to I want to start to. Be somebody that you could use more and more to help other people mature in you and that starts with me more and more maturing spending more time perhaps reading the bible and praying and discussing it with other people and going deeper into the word whatever that looks like for you you know we never stop growing um, just, just put your hand on your heart if that's you and you you need this to be a kind of a spiritual thing between you and God a commitment what's he saying to you to do some people it's, start to think about maybe WTC and, um, in September next year it's a great way to grow go further and deeper but for others it's more about just finding a one or a two that we could meet together with regularly and say let's let's get together let's get together with Jesus and the Bible and let's discuss what he's saying to us let's grow together and teach one another how to obey it's not just for knowledge it's teaching for obedience Is what we're after Well, I just pray for your Holy Spirit to come and embed this word into our hearts if it's for us bring about the change that your word brings because when your word comes to us it's a delight it's never something that's going to push us down, it's to lift us up it's to elevate us in your presence to lift us up to the level that you have for us Lord if we've been dull of hearing open our ears, open our hearts help us to switch on wake up to say too, I just get a sense that for some people, I'm kind of apologising on behalf of the church, if um, this church or any other church, the church of Jesus Christ hasn't represented him well, and if you've not heard this before or not felt this before, that actually you, you called to this, then um, I'm sorry that that's been the case, but please take tonight as being your permissioning and your commissioning be able to increase your sphere of influence for Jesus. In your workplace, among family, neighbours, friends, whatever it is, to be able to teach them to obey. To know that this this is for you. You ought to be a teacher. And he'll help you to be one. be on preaching but if anybody wants to come to that it's on a friday here in a couple of weeks time i'm going to do um like a how to grow in preaching i can't remember what it is but i'll tell you the end. 24th of november apparently thank you thanks for listening for more podcasts go to ivychurch.org forward slash media